I watch that video and I say, let's go, right? It is the Go Conference, so you can, you wanna do that with me, <laughs> right? Hey, pretend you just scored a touchdown. I know you've never done that. Well, if you have, it was a long time ago, right? I mean, uh, or, or whatever your deal is, pretend you just won the best video game of your life, or I don't know, your favorite guy asks you on a date. Whatever fires you up, okay? You hang up the phone, you do something cool, you're gonna say, let's go! You see it all the time on ESPN, right? It would be great if 3,500 people could shout together, even you, Samuel, I know your dad has to give you permission, but he'll give you permission. You can scream to the top of your lungs from the front, yo, front row, and there's Brooks over there. Brooks, can you give me a let's go? Brooks, Brooks, are you listening? Come on, we're gonna say let's go, okay? So I'm gonna say one, two, three, and then we're gonna go with all of our energy, and your dad's gonna do it, and don't let him outdo you, right? We're gonna, we're gonna scream let's go, just like Ohio State won instead of Michigan. Okay, all right? So whatever it is for you, put that in your soul because we're gonna give it up in one, two, three. Let's go! Now, wouldn't it be cool, Dr. White, if something about the gospel would put us in that place? First of all, I just want to say thank you for letting me come here. It's been a joy. I've never been in a bubble like this before. You know, I've been working on secular campuses my whole life. And as I interact with you guys, your stories are extraordinary. And here's the extraordinariness of your story. God has guarded most of you and protected most of you. I heard 90% of your class. Freshman class this year, both parents are still married, living at home. Do you know that that is extraordinary? I also have heard that you gave your life to Christ before you came to college. And I also know that your parents are most likely believers, members of a church who regularly attend a church. And 90% of the freshman class, you have witnessed your mom and dad leading devotions in your family at home. I don't know college students like that. You know what percentage of the 20 million college students in this country that that would be their story? Let's just check. Pastor Luke at Ohio State, what percentage of college students who attend Ohio State University you think that's their story? Under 10%. Under 10, you think 10% have that story? Let's go to Cincy. In Cincy, what is it? What do you think? Probably less than 1%. Oh, probably less than. Guys, what is that? That is a stewardship that God has given you. And you know what a steward is to do? Be responsible with the stewardship. If you give back to God only what he's given to you, you know what he calls you? A wicked steward. But if you take what has been entrusted to you and you multiply that, if there are generations who take what you've been given and actually experience it because you've been given it, you know what he calls you? A godly steward, a good steward, a faithful steward, and he will pour into your lap even more. Cedarville students, God has entrusted you a great treasure of the gospel and a great foundation of family and a great heritage of men and women who have loved you, who have prayed for you, who've given a gospel witness to you. Do not squander that. 
And don't stay in this bubble. Live here until you graduate and then get gone and go somewhere where you can extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. I don't know if you saw it on my iPad. I, I brought my Bible tonight just so you guys knew I had one. Uh, but did you see on my iPad, the 1002? On my Bible, 1002? Any of you guys know why I have that on there? Show hands. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought it'd be a ton of you. It's from Luke 10 too. And before we started Cornerstone Church 30 years ago, we took 25 of our leaders for five weeks over to Albania. And uh, I met an Albanian pastor over there and we were trying to share the Jesus film with all of the villages in Albania. We took helicopters, it's crazy stuff. Several of us almost died. It was really ridiculous. We did it with crew and they risked our lives. And, uh, but then 20 years later, we went back to celebrate the church that had been born in Tirana, Albania. And then they had also planted another church where we went, another village where we went. And so we were going to go visit that village. And we were driving, and me and Uli were arguing about some theological difference that we had because we already always have those. And I'm sure I was winning because, uh, no, he was for sure. He's smarter than I am. Remember, I'm one of those idiotes. And so uh, we're going along, and all of a sudden it was 10.02, and his alarm went off. And literally we're arguing about something, and he just interrupted our argument, and he said, yes, Lord send laborers, and then got right back in the argument. And I went, time. Yes, universal signal for technical, or time in a different sport. And uh, I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, you know, we had some missionaries that were over here one year, and they taught us to pray the Luke 10 to prayer. And so what we do every day at 10.02 is we set our alarms and we pray for the one thing that Jesus asked us to pray for because Jesus said in Luke 10.2, he said, see the fields are widened to harvest, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. And so every day in answer to the prayer request of Jesus, which would be a good idea if Jesus asked us to pray for something, we should actually do it. We set our alarms and we pray every day. And I thought, oh, that's good. I'm gonna get a whole bunch of people to do it. So every day in our network, there are thousands of people who have set their alarm at 10.02 and every day we pray. We pray that the Lord would send forth laborers. And I would encourage you to go, but if you're not gonna go, at least pray. How hard is it to set your alarm? You know what it does to me almost every day at 10.02? Annoys me, bugs me, bothers me. But it reminds me that I should pray. And most days I just say, pray, Lord, yes. But some days I actually get on my knees and cry out to God that he would send laborers into the harvest. And even sometimes when I'm in a public place and my alarm goes off, someone will ask me about the alarm. It's an opportunity for me to share the gospel with them. And people say all the time, why do you think the blessing of God is on Salt Network and Salt Company? And why do you think last year was the first year we baptized over 1,033 college students mostly and this year, we baptized almost 1,400, 1,396. In some places, some of our churches, the majority of the people that are in those churches are people who have actually put their faith in Jesus over the last four years in college. Yeah, that's something yeah. you clack about. Yeah, let's go, right? I'm part of a network of churches. There are 47,000 churches, and I asked the president of North American Mission Board, how many of those churches you think baptize five adults in a year? And you know what he said? Well, 
over half never baptized any. And he said, if you baptize five adults in a year, you're probably a top 3% church in the 47,000 churches. And I'm telling you what, I don't know how many people Ernie's church has baptized. It's just a couple years old and Luke's church has baptized, but I guarantee you they are leading the 47,000 churches because they're seeing men and women ushered into the kingdom of God. Last year at our conference, we had over 4,000 at that conference last year. And one of our speakers just randomly said, Hey, I want to know a question. How many of you guys have given your life to Christ since you've been in college the last four years and over half of the crowd put their hand in the air? This year, we had over 5,000 at the conference. And if someone would have stopped and said, how many of you have given your life to Christ in the last four years? Put your hand in the air. It would have been over half again. Guys, the fields are white unto harvest. And I want to look at three passages tonight. So I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 4. And I hope to draw your attention to see what Jesus wants us to see. You know the story of John chapter four, it's the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and I don't have time to get into that story, so I hope that you have that knowledge. And here Jesus is sharing the gospel with this woman, and, and she's a very broken woman. She's had multiple broken relationships, and here she is going to the well at the wrong time, the time to go to the well, but Jesus knew she was gonna go there, and Jesus met with this woman and said, I am the living water, and if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. And then that conversation was interrupted. You know how it goes? Here come the disciples. Remember those teenage dudes just bunking around? And we get down to verse 27 of John chapter four, and it says, just then the disciples arrived, ruined the whole thing, disrupted the conversation, and look at what. They were amazed that Jesus was talking with a woman. Now, it wasn't just a woman because Jesus had women on his traveling team. In fact, it was leading women, probably wealthy women, probably peers of Jesus who'd be rejected by culture, who had come to faith in Christ, who were supporting his ministry. You can see that in Luke chapter eight. Another sermon we don't have time to get into. But these teenagers were amazed that he was talking to a woman. What was amazing about her, she was a Samaritan woman and Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Yet, and I love this, your Bible's funny if you read it right, yet no one said, what did you want? Don't you find that odd? (laughs) Why is that the question they had? They were too afraid to ask Jesus, what did you want? And they didn't ask, why were you talking with her? Then a woman left, went into town. She told all the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town. They made their way out to see Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, you need to eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Was the Samaritan woman stashing something in her bag or in her bucket? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, it's the first time it's in your Bible, don't you say that there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready, white unto harvest. Then verse 38 said, I sent you to reap where you did not labor. 
For others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. And then we see verse 39. Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Cedarville students, let me ask you this question. Who is close to you and far from God? Jesus would say to you, open your eyes, lift up your heads and see. Jesus went out of his way, as you know, to go to Samaria to see one woman who he knew would influence an entire city. He said, I must go through Samaria. Why? To visit with this one woman, to share the gospel with her. And he was far from her. But he came clear because she was far from God. And I think the first lesson that we need to think about tonight is if you know Jesus, you need to know that because you know Jesus, he wants other people to know Jesus because you know Jesus. And one of the primary responsibilities that we have as believers is to multiply disciples, right? And the first place we need to go is we need to be willing to go to that person who is close to us but far from God. And how many of us can talk about something as silly as class or as silly as weather or silly as sports and never share the glorious gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ? If you know Jesus and someone you love doesn't, for the love of God, take whatever risk is necessary to share the gospel with them. What barriers are you willing to cross to share the gospel? Are you willing to cross any? Are you just like the disciples? Don't ask. But that's weird. He was talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman. Don't ask, but I wonder what he wanted. He wanted an image bearer to know the living God. When we first started our church, we used to do church in the park because we didn't build a big enough building and people kept coming and we were shocked by it too. And so in order to get everybody together, we'd have to go outdoors. And so we went outdoors in the summer and we would meet in the Banshell Park. We don't have a lot of homelessness in Iowa, but in the summertime, every once in a while, I'll find a homeless person. And so one of our, one of our band members setting up for the church in the park went to the restroom and found a man sleeping on the floor. And, uh, you know, homeless guy, hungry, homeless guy. So he went, oh, ooh, what are you doing here? Dude, we, we got church going. You shouldn't, I mean, there are gonna be people, you, you need to go find another place. You think, was it? No, no. He told everybody in the church, he said, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a while. So when he took the guy out for breakfast and he took the guy to the store, got him some clothes he got back in time for worship because he was part of the setup crew. And at the end of the service, he led the guy to Christ. His name was Perry. Perry became a guy that we adopted in our church. And he was a guy who would just travel from place to place. And the reason he was there is because he jumped off a train that he had jumped on. And he ended up at Banshill Park. And one of our pastors gave him a Bible. And he started reading the Bible every day. And he wrote his spiritual birthday in that Bible. And then one of the baptisms we had, he was still around, so he baptized Perry. And Perry was about six foot three, 300 pounds. Yes, all of a band. And he was terrified of the water. And one of our pastors, the pastor who baptized him was our teaching pastor at the time. He is not big, okay? And so he was gonna baptize him, so it was Perry. 
and our pastor, and Perry was terrified of the water. And so we're, ta- we're Baptists. We're taking him all the way in. So Perry comes in. You know, we could have become Methodist at that point or Catholic and just a little dab do you, but no, no. We have to put him down, right? And so Perry, he said, I can't swim. I'm terrified of water. So now this relatively small pastor plunges this guy. His feet go up. His head goes down, and now it's a water polo match in the baptistry. Pastor goes down. Finally, he goes down. Perry comes up. They're both drenched. The whole church is laughing. And then Perry disappears. Years go by. Years. We get a phone call. I can't remember Perry's last name, but they asked us, do you know Perry so-and-so? And we said, no. I said, well, we found him dead in a train car. And he had one thing on him. It was a Bible. One phone number in it. The number of your church. And we put two and two together. It was Perry at Banjo Park. How many Perrys have you walked by? It was just a setup guy who went out of his way to share the gospel with someone he had never met before who was broken and hungry and in need. And he gave a cup of water and more than a cup of water. He gave the glorious gospel of the living water of Jesus Christ. And it makes me sad, and it should you too, that most Christians never share their faith, ever. If I were to ask you tonight, how many people are following Jesus because you're following Jesus, could you, could you name the people? What about last year? You know, to our students, we can just say, what about your roommate? What about the dorm you live on? What about all your classmates, everybody in your class? You can't say that at Cedarville, right? Oh, some of you are saying, yeah, I know some of these people are lost. Well, share the gospel with them. Don't let them leave here lost. But when you do live here, or whoever you know that's far from God close to you, please be sharing the gospel with them. Look at the next passage, Matthew 9. We're gonna start going quicker. I ran, I didn't get through all my notes, so I didn't bring very many notes tonight, and I'm not gonna get through them either. Matthew 9, look at verse 35. It says, Jesus was going around from towns to towns and villages and he was teaching in the synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He was healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest. You see what he says, verse 36? When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. You know what he saw? He saw any crowd in the world at that day. Let me ask you a question tonight, Cedarville students. When you see a crowd, what do you think? What moves your heart? I had the privilege of going to the whiteout game at Penn State. You guys ever been there? Oh man, it is crazy. Beaver Stadium is the third largest city in Philadelphia when they're playing a football game, 
especially the whiteout game. The time I was there was 110,000 plus that were there. And there were many, as many people outside the stadium as they were inside the stadium. And I had these verses and I was meditating on these verses as I was there and they were just piling in. And I'm telling you, they're serious about their football at Penn State. And they were piling in all in white, all in white, all in white, all in white. And I sat in a seat, but you know, it was like there were only 10 seats, but there were 15 of us in a row. And so we'd have to turn sideways and you never got to sit down in the football game. And this place was packed out. And as these people were filing in, God moved me to see the fields that were widened to harvest. And I think I tasted just a little bit what he saw because what they were there, they were there to worship and boy, did they worship. They were lifting up their hands and they were saying, let's go. And they were saying, we're number one. And every time their team did something, they erupted in worship. And I saw the fields white and I began to cry. And I said, God, thank you for this image and never let me forget this image because there are 20 million students in this country. Most of them would dress up to do something this silly for something this insignificant and will never have an opportunity to respond to the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And I cried another time at that football game. Only two times I've ever cried at a football game. Go figure. You know the second time? When they sang the national anthem. I don't know what it's like. At Iowa State, national anthem goes, we go, wah, 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 hurry, get it over with, you know, so we can start cheering for the football game. But when you go to Penn State Whiteout game, every single person in that stadium stood up and every single person that I could sing with all of their energy sang the national anthem. And I love our country, country don't get me wrong, but I'm not a nationalist. I'm a Christian, I love the world. But I wish our churches would be like that. You know, I, I just, if I could, in all good Christian love, I would slap some guys in churches during worship. You know, because it is. But you take them to the game and they go nuts. You know, you go nuts at a football game, what do they call you? A fan. You go nuts in church, what do they call you? A fanatic. And Jesus said, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest. When you pray, what do you pray for? Do you pray for the lost? Do you pray for laborers? Or do you pray for yourself and for more goodness for yourself? I love that word that's used in send out. We're going to see it again in Luke chapter 10. It says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest. And, and here's the image. It's literally the word ekbalo. It's a Greek word for cast out. It's used in other places, casting out demons or to eject. It is literally, right? I have a friend who used the illustration. He said, uh, I don't know if you know anything about eagles, but eagles' nests are high. And he said, I don't know if you know anything about when a mom eagle is uh, teaching a baby eagle to fly, but when they reach the age of flyability, the mom eagle, having cared for the baby eagle all of its life, or the dad eagle, having cared for the baby eagle all of its life, just kind of puts it up, up, out of the nest, onto the edge. And then the mom eagle or the baby eagle will ekbalo the baby eagle. 
And at that point, the eagle has two options, right? Fly or die. You know what? He doesn't know animals. I do. They don't die. The ones who don't fly, flap until they fall, and then they get another chance. But you know what most of them do? They fly. And you know what I see Cedarville? You're in a nice little nest. You're being fed well. You're being cared for well. Hopefully you're getting all fattened up. And my prayer is that Dr. White, Dr. Wood, and all your professors, when they hand you that diploma, they ballow you to the ends of the earth. Because guys, lift up your heads and see. What you've been given is a stewardship that you cannot waste. And I love what Jesus says. He sent them out. Verse five of chapter 10, Jesus sent the 12 out and he gave them some instructions and you know how it went for them? Well, we don't because it doesn't give a report. But here's what he said, verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That was a good time for Peter to put his hand in the air, right? Say, oh, hey, Jesus. <laughs> Just speaking for the boys. Uh, you know, I think you messed it up. We want to be the wolves. Let's go get the sheep. Hey, I don't know, Jesus, if you know. Wolves eat sheep. In fact, they kill them and don't even necessarily eat them. They kill them for sport. You didn't mean like sheep among, right? No, come on. No, he did. He went on, he said, here's what it's gonna be. Um, verse 22. Hey, you're gonna be hated by everybody. Because of me, oh, don't be afraid, verse 26, these wolves that are gonna hate you and wanna eat you, because there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, what you hear and whisper, proclaim in the housetops, oh, don't fear whom is able just to destroy your life, take your life, but fear the one who can destroy your life and put your body in hell. Verse 32, anyone acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before others. But anybody who denies me before men, I'll deny you before others. How did it go? Well, we don't know. But Jesus didn't say it's gonna be very exciting. Guys, in the gospels, you never hear, if you follow me, it is gonna be awesome. What you hear is if you follow me, your reward will be awesome. Your life might be horrible but you'll forever be awesome. Why would you live for the 80 years of your life and have nothing in eternity rather than live whatever years you have for eternity? Luke 10 to 10 to, that's where we're gonna go there. We'll end with this. Same thing. Same thing in three places. Maybe you should pay attention. But Luke chapter 10 Verse one, it says, after this, and it's after Luke nine, in case you didn't know. Um, and so you say, what's in Luke nine? It's some really good stuff. Like, 
if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciples. If you do love your mother or father more than me, you can't be my disciple. If you put your hand to the plow and turn back, you shouldn't be my disciple. It's, it's really good stuff. And then disciples get in that argument, who's the greatest? Because they were, they were just young, um, like us. Well, not like us, like you. <laughs> oh, I wish I could be. Verse one, chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72. And he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, ballow workers into the harvest. Now, verse three, now go, I am sending you. Like lambs, he uses a different word, a, a lesser word, a smaller word, a baby word, among wolves. That word pray is a little different because it means a prayer of desperation. Remember in Luke chapter five when the leper was crying out to Jesus to heal me? It says that he was desperately crying out to Jesus to be healed. If you had leprosy, you would want to be touched by Jesus. I love that song that says he wasn't afraid to touch the leper and heal the leper. But if you were blind, you would cry out to the Lord to heal me of our blindness. If you were crippled, you'd cry out to the Lord to heal you of your lameness. And that's this word, to plead desperately for God that he would raise up laborers. You know, my prayer life is, if pathetic is here, I'm... What's just about pathetic? You know what you're going to see in Luke chapter 11, which is right after chapter 10? When Jesus said, pray desperately, pray earnestly, actually labor in prayer, cry out in prayer. The one thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to do. It was not to heal the sick or to raise the dead or perform miracles or cast out. Do what he said. Lord, teach us to pray. And guys, if the king of heaven got up early to pray and spent all night in prayer and would get away lonely to spend time with the father in prayer, how much more do we need this discipline in our life? I hope you put it as a top three, you know? to forgive people who've hurt you, to seek forgiveness from people you've hurt, and to learn to pray. And I tell people all the time, if you feel great about your prayer life, don't set your alarm. But if you need a little help like me, what would it hurt to set an alarm? You can set one 9.38 and 10.02, and there's some people so spiritual, they set 9.38, and that's their go time, and then they pray for the 24 minutes to 10.02. Good. And then there are other people in our network, they're super spiritual. They just do the 1002, but they do it twice a day. You know that happens twice a day in the morning and at night. I'm always sleeping at that nighttime. If, if I'm not, I'm trying to take something that will help me sleep. 
but it's a reminder to me every day to be obedient to what God has called me to. And sometimes, guess what? God will overwhelm me with his spirit and I'll have someone specific to pray for. And I'll have someone that I know that is far from God but close to me that they would come to faith in Christ. And I will pray earnestly for them. And sometimes the spirit of God can come on me and I can pray and pray and pray. And one thing leads to another and leads to another and leads to another. And there are some days when I go from pathetic to that was really good but I'm still a long ways from where I know the Lord wants me to be. Are you praying desperately for the right things? That the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest? Let's cry out together, let's do it together. It's not my idea, it's someone else's idea, and a lot of people have this idea, but it's a really good idea, don't you think? And then he said, now, look at verse three, go. Literally, you know this, Matthew 28, 19, as you are going, while you're in the way, God is gonna often move us through persecutions. Guys, it, it, we, I, you're not being attacked for preaching the Bible on your campus yet. But you know, Salt Network is. You should pray for those laborers. We have 185 staff who when they go on campus, they will be attacked by professors, by students, by other student groups, people trying to keep us off campus, telling us that we're bigots, telling us that we don't love people, telling us that who are we? We bought a facility in Des Moines. I'll tell you this story. And you know, maybe never ask me back because I go too long tonight. But anyway, so, so we bought a church that the homeless were living in because the gospel has not been there forever. And no one was meeting in the church, but when our group was gonna buy this church, they decided to come together in a whole group in the diocese or whatever they call their group. They filled up this 400-seat auditorium and they said this. Now listen, the first guy that stood up said, now is this a church that we're selling our facility to? And uh, they said, yes, it is. And he said, well, why don't we just give it to them? And I was thinking, hallelujah, hallelujah. And everybody said, shut up, sit down. The next person that stood up said, I just want you guys to know, I've looked up this salt thing. And if we sell our building, they will take our church the opposite direction of where we were going. Because here's the deal. Number one, they don't ordain women as pastors. Number two, they don't support the LGBTQX agenda. Not gonna be any flags flown. And number three, worst of all, they believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And I wanted to stand up and say, guilty. But then she said this, but I think we should sell it to him anyway because they're really doing some good for people. And this neighborhood needs someone doing good for people. That church is running almost 800 and we've seen God do tremendous things in that space. But guys, if you can't see the fields, pray for laborers, pray for us. Pray that more of us will go. He said, I am sending you. And then he said it again. Like lambs among wolves. Uh, you ever been terrified? 
I don't know. When I was a kid, I used to get scared a lot. Uh, back in the day, I was convinced by somebody that the Loch Ness Monster existed. You know, Bigfoot. And he was in my neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, whenever I would be out past dark at the friend's house and I would have to go home, it was only really two houses between my house and his house, I would sprint like a track star, thinking the whole time I was gonna be destroyed, right? By the Loch Ness Monster. Now, there have been some times I've been afraid before, but I've mostly overcome those fears and something bad happens, I tend to run toward it. But I would hate to be a lamb among wolves, wouldn't you? You've seen Discovery Channel. But what is Jesus saying? Please don't miss this. When John saw Jesus, what did he tell his disciples? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What do they sing in heaven? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and power forever and ever. What is Jesus saying? Don't do it your own way. Don't go under your own power. Don't do what men think. Men think you need to swell up and be a wolf and be a bully and be stronger and mightier and more powerful than them. No. That's the world's way. I am sending you and I want you to be like me. What does John say? When we see him, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. The most attractive man that ever lived, the sinless man who hungry, broken, desperate people flocked to in mass in the midst of a terrified group of disciples. And yet he was a world changer. Guys, he's coming in as a lamb or as a lion. But he's calling us to be like him. So in summary, when we see what God sees, we will pray. When we pray, it's really hard to pray for people to go. And then God says, oh, how about you? And you say, uh, no, I'll take another tangent. Um, I have seven kids, you guys know that, 14 grandkids, you know that, 11 grandsons, you know that, but I just like saying it. Um, one day I was with my 10-year-old daughter, Renee, and I said to her, what all good, all good dads say to their kids, I said, baby, I said, Rooney, I called her Rooney, I said, Rooney, what are you gonna do when you grow up? She said, what do you mean? I said, I mean, what are you gonna do when you grow up? And she said, I'm gonna be a missionary. Like, I've been listening. And you know what my heart said? No! That's for other people's kids. I'm gonna raise them up, guy. And the Spirit of God convicted me in that moment. 
And by God's grace, I've repented of that sin and I see my kids not as mine, but as his, as stewards. And I ask him to call them and send them. And the first prayer that I pray for all of my grandkids and the first note that I ever write all of my grandkids is that they would go to the ends of the earth, that they would come to know Jesus as early as possible, that they would grow up in a Christian home and that they would leave that family to follow Jesus wherever he would lead them to go. I used to think the Christian goal was to keep everybody close, but now I know the Christian goal is we have everybody close forever. We want to send them out to the ends of the earth. And so, man, I'm at Ballow and all my grandkids and worshiping with them and praying for them. I have a two-year-old grandson who's already mocking a preacher. And this Christmas, when we were all getting together and in all of our churches, and they do their little, their little performance, the cousins teach each other how to do their thing. But my two-year-old, he's not fully able to get into it, but he's been watching so much worship stuff that his way to put himself to bed at night is he watches, he, he watches his favorite preacher every single night and he emulates him to the T, all the gestures that he is. And so what he did, what he wanted to do, perform for the whole family, is we put up his preacher and we let him mock preach with the remote as a two-year-old. And I can show you the video and even dances, you know, and, and cast out whatever he's casting out. He said, crazy guy, preacher, but he loves him. <laughs> and one night, all the family was playing dumb games and it was just me and him. His name's Isaiah True. And I just put my hand on him as he held the remote and tears began to run down my face. I said, oh God, please. Please, send him. Use him. Make him a powerful witness for the gospel. So if you pray, you'll be moved to go. And if you go, here's what Jesus says. I will be with you. You know, when I would walk with a friend from that same house that I was terrified, it didn't matter how old the friend was, we were both kids, I wasn't afraid because I was with somebody. He'll be with you and you will experience the joy of the gospel. Jesus said, even if you give a drink of water in my name, I count that in eternity. You know what he's saying? I count everything. I love you. I died for you. I've invested in you. I've laid a foundation in you. I'm asking you to lift up your heads and see. I'm asking you to be a part of the answer to your own prayer, to be a laborer, to go into the harvest to people who don't know me yet. In our country, the 20 million college students and millions and millions of others and to the ends of the earth, all the peoples of the earth, that they would declare the praises of the glories of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And here's what I gotta say to you. Let's go! Yeah, that, see, isn't that crazy? It's crazy in church, isn't it? You think, you think, oh, oh, don't make us do it again. I am. <laughs> On three. And I'm looking at you, Jen. One, two, three. <laughs> Lord, you've heard our cry. <laughs> they just prayed for themselves.
Oh, have mercy on them if they don't hear their own prayer and follow you in obedience. What could we do greater than obey you? Lord, I can't imagine what my life would be without you. Can't imagine what would have become of a lost person God, without you, I was so broken. And often, even with you, my brokenness comes out. My impatience, my pride. My greed, my desires for things that are in this world, my want for more. And every time you blessed me with those things, I found them to be once again, bah. It's like day old McDonald's french fries. They were good yesterday, but they're just bah. And they just put yuck in your mouth. But every time I've said yes to you, no matter how hard it's been, no matter what sacrifice I had to make, I just felt the wind of your spirit and the power that you give. And I felt the joy and delight. And God, you've blessed me with an unbelievable wife and tremendous kids and grandkids and family and some who are not close to you. And I pray for them now, God, that you would draw them close and send them out. And for the hundreds and thousands of people who know you, God, I pray for them, that they would pray to you, that you would send them out, that we would go. We don't have to yell it to do it, but God, give us energy for the kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for having me.